Hello, all you hardheads. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 34, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. I hope you guys had a fantastic Easter if you are one to celebrate it. And if you don't celebrate Easter, I hope you had a fantastic weekend. Nonetheless, we've got some exciting sports to talk about today. Really, really excited for the show. I love when gigantic trades happen. You probably already know what we're going to be talking about today. I've I've been developing a pretty bad habit, though, unfortunately, as of late. I have had the habit of setting up everything in the morning for the show and saying to myself, okay, lights, check, camera, check, notes, check, everything's working, check, sound, check, lighting, check. Pretty much, I go through every single step of setting up the Hard Hit Sports podcast. And then I think to myself, did we post the podcast from last episode? Did, did we post the audio file? And sure enough, for the past two shows, I've gone onto the Spotify, I've gone onto the Anchor, and the episode has not been there. I don't know what it is, because arguably, it's the most important part of the podcast. It is the podcast. It is the podcast. I don't know why I've, I've been forgetting it, because it is legitimately the entire kit and caboodle. But I have neglected to post it on the day that I actually make the podcast. And I just, for the past few shows, I've been forgetting that I have not posted a podcast to Anchor, which means that it is not distributed. And maybe it's just the fact that I'm so focused on YouTube right now. I'm so focused on making sure that the numbers are working well for me, that the algorithm is good, the thumbnails are up to date, the descriptions are all set. Maybe I'm focusing too much on the YouTube side of things, which is why... I've been so neglectful of the actual podcast portion, which is the, as I've been saying, the main portion of the show. So apologies for getting these shows up so late. Uh, I'll try to do better in the future. Again, it it feels like a weird thing to be really forgetful and bad at. You would think that you would be not forgetful when it comes to posting your show on the correct platforms, but... It's been a bad habit as of, as of late. I apologize for that, and I will vow to do better. This will probably be posted on Wednesday, April 7th, because I did have to post the last episode of the podcast this morning. I'm going to space it out, and I'm going to post this episode tomorrow, which is my birthday. Tomorrow is my birthday. I'm turning 24 years old. I'm getting horrendously old and decrepit, and uh, my memory is starting to fade. You know what? Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. I am just turning old, and I am losing my memory and my brain already. I would sincerely hope not. My parents and everybody who is older than me at this point is laughing at my face for even suggesting that thought. But moving on into the show today, again, big news in the NFL. A gigantic trade happened between the New York Jets and the Carolina Panthers. We'll break down Sam Darnold to Carolina at the top of the show. Then we'll head on over to the NCAA Championship. Baylor absolutely surprising everybody. Blowing out Gonzaga for a majority of this basketball game. Got off to, what was it, a 13-4 run in the first quarter? Within the first five minutes, the, the game seemed like it was already over. And Gonzaga was the unbeaten seed. They were hopeful to be the first undefeated champion since Indiana in the 1970s. And it didn't go that way for them. Baylor absolutely blew them out of the water. We'll talk about that game a little bit. And then we will continue our free agency grades to round out the show. But first, at the top of the show, in case you thought that this offseason couldn't get any more wilder than it already has been. it's It, it was already projected to be a wild offseason for the NFL, especially in the quarterback market. And I was the one who said, okay, let's relax. I don't think that many people are going to be on the move. And I will suck it up and admit it right now. I was absolutely wrong. 
There have been plenty of offseason moves for the quarterback position, and the latest one happened late last night, and I was absolutely floored by the trade that had happened. Sam Darnold being traded by the New York Jets to the Carolina Panthers. The Jets receive a sixth-round pick this year and a second and fourth-round pick next year, and, of course, the Carolina Panthers receiving Sam Darnold. And I had a lot of mixed reaction to this news. My gut reaction, my first reaction was, this strike. This is a little odd. It struck me as a little odd for Carolina. Carolina reportedly was in on Deshaun Watson, offering three first-round picks and Christian McCaffrey, regardless of whether or not you believe that rumor, that report that came out a couple of weeks ago. It doesn't matter now because it doesn't look like Deshaun Watson is going anywhere except probably not the massage parlor. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, but regardless of that, uh, Carolina was in on Deshaun Watson. They've been very vocal about wanting to upgrade the quarterback position, much to the chagrin of Teddy Bridgewater, who is sitting on a fat stack of paper, a fat contract there in Carolina. So he's eating up a bunch of the salary cap. Carolina has been very vocal about wanting to move on and find an upgrade at quarterback. I just didn't think it would be Sam Darnold, especially with the fact that the Panthers have the number eight overall pick in the NFL draft. And I'm not quite sure whether the 49ers moving into the third drafting slot kind of provoked this kind of like a, a panic button for Carolina to go ahead and pull the trigger on a move because reportedly Carolina had been in talks with the Jets for this for weeks, a couple of weeks now. So I don't know if it was the 49ers moving up into the number three draft slot that basically went sent Carolina into a frenzy and said, okay, we need to get this done. We'll give the Jets more picks to get this deal done because reportedly at the beginning of the offseason, the Jets were expecting about a third-round pick for Sam Darnold, and I would say that they got much, much more than that with this trade with Carolina. But it strikes me as odd, because did the Panthers really think that, A, they wouldn't be able to get a top quarterback with their number 8 draft slot, or B, the guy that they would be getting at that number 8 draft slot would not be as good as Sam Darnold is? And that's the big question. Whoever that the Panthers thought would be the leftovers of this first four to five pick spending spree when it comes to the quarterback, uh, when it comes to the quarterback position in the NFL draft, this upcoming NFL draft, did they think that whoever the, the, the scraps or the leftovers would be from whoever gets pulled away from the, the first five picks, they did not or did think that Sam Darnold would be better than that person. And that's why it kind of strikes me as odd. Because, look, I think that Darnold is better than most people give him credit for. I think he's absolutely a product of Adam Gase being one of the worst NFL head coaches in history. But I don't necessarily know if it's worth the risk to take a flyer and exercise a fifth-year option, which is, uh, I think that fifth-year option is worth about $18 million. Is it worth the risk to take a flyer, exercise the fifth-year option on a quarterback that could very well be damaged goods because of the production, or the regression, rather, due to Adam Gase, instead of taking a chance on a young quarterback that could very well potentially be better than Sam Darnold is? And that's the odd thing for me. And I, I'm not quite sure, really, where I fall on the line when it comes to this. I'm not sure what side of the fence I'm going to be pushed over on. Because on the one hand, you can absolutely say, look, odds are is that whoever they drafted in that number eighth draft slot is probably going to be the, the runt of the litter. And whether that's Mac Jones, whether that's Trey Lance, whether that's Justin Fields, 
you can make the argument that saying, hey, look, Sam Darnold has the NFL experience, although it's not the best NFL experience, but Sam Darnold at least has two to three years already on the plate. There is more there that we already know as opposed to what we would have to figure out with a rookie quarterback. And it's very reasonable that the Carolina Panthers are saying, look, we could probably take a chance on Darnold and try and fix Darnold. Either the, the Carolina Panthers know something we don't, or they're comfortable on taking a chance on a quarterback that has the possibility of being unfixable due to the amount of regression that he saw under Adam Gase. Now, Darnold does get to reunite with Robbie Anderson, which was his best receiver in New York. He does get Christian McCaffrey, so he's going to have the most weapons that he's had as an NFL quarterback thus far into his career. And that in itself is reason to say, okay, well, maybe Darnold is going to be better in Carolina. But I'm not so sure. Again, I think that, you know, Darnold is better than most people give him credit for. But it is very, very real. The confidence of a quarterback, and you see this with guys like with Jared Goff and Mitchell Trubisky, the confidence of the quarterback is one of the most important intangibles or important tangibles that you need to have in the NFL. And I don't know where that sits with Sam Darnold. Now, I, another takeaway that I have with this is I'm taking a look at Chicago and general manager Ryan Pace, and I'm saying, really? You couldn't pull this off? <laughs> you, you chose a one-year $10 million deal with Andy Dalton over Sam Darnold, who is a younger quarterback, potentially could be a good quarterback in the NFL. You could Ryan Pace is sitting there, you know, you know, saying Andy Dalton is our QB one. We're going to go with Andy Dalton. You really couldn't pull off Sam Darnold. I mean, I don't want to speak for Bears fans, but for the majority of the reaction that I've seen, Bears fans are like, really? Sure, Carolina had to give up a couple of more picks to get Sam Darnold, but Ryan Pace really couldn't pull that off. He couldn't get a young quarterback to be that franchise guy moving forward. Instead, he opted for a 30-plus-year-old Andy Dalton who really was kind of average, and we know what Andy Dalton is at this point. He's an average quarterback. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I feel like Ryan Pace's days are numbered in Chicago if they weren't numbered before because not only did Ryan Pace go off book and not get Andy Dalton the year before at a $3 million asking price. Instead, he traded for Nick Foles. Now he's signing Andy Dalton when he probably should have traded for Sam Darnold. I feel sorry for Chicago Bears fans. But really, really interesting. Again, I, I don't know what side of the fence I lie on with this trade. It strikes me as odd that the Panthers chose Sam Darnold over a rookie quarterback. And especially with Teddy Bridgewater on such a massive contract, you would think that they would want to have Teddy Bridgewater be the starter for another season, play off the rest of that contract, have him become a free agent, have whoever they draft at that number eight draft slot sit behind Teddy Bridgewater for a year. But now there there could be a potential QB battle in Carolina between Bridgewater and Darnold, and who knows? Who knows what will happen? It's a very interesting but also a very odd move. Out of the, out, out of the teams that I had that possibly would have traded for Sam Darnold, I don't think Carolina was anywhere on that list. Um, and I, I don't know whether this was triggered by the 49ers moving into the number three draft slot. I don't know if this was triggered by the fact that the Panthers had a coming to terms with themselves, a one-on-one -on -one talk in the mirror saying, hey, look, Deshaun Watson has 22 lawsuits piled on him and climbing. We probably won't be able to trade for him or should we even want to trade for him. And this also now means that the Panthers will probably not take a quarterback in the draft. They could go linebacker. They could go Micah Parsons. They could even go cornerback with Caleb Farley at eight. 
And a big winner in this, come to think of it, is the team that's sitting behind him at number nine, the Denver Broncos. Now that the Panthers have played their hand and have went and got a quarterback, the Broncos might have a good opportunity to steal whatever quarterback comes out of that mess in the first five picks. So again, the quote-unquote runt of the litter could fall to the Denver Broncos at number nine, and Drew Locke could be getting some competition in Denver very soon. What do you think about the trade that sent Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers? I'm very, very interested to hear your opinions on this. Again, I've stri- it strikes me as kind of odd. I'm not sure where I fall on which side of the fence yet, but we will see whether or not Sam Darnold can turn it around in the upcoming months. So the March Madness Tournament has come to a close It was a fantastic tournament through and through. I was very impressed with not only how the tournament was run, but with the level of competition that was seen. And it really cemented the idea in my mind, and I've talked about it a bunch on the show, that we really did miss college basketball. The competition that March Madness brings is truly unlike any other thing in the sports world, I feel. It's unique, it's exciting, and maybe it's just because I'm young and still kind of fresh out of college. I'm turning 24 tomorrow, so I I kind of fresh out of college, but still, maybe it's a young person's sport, maybe it's a young man's game. Um, But college basketball is exciting, and it really showed to me how much I missed it, and I think a lot of people missed the March Madness Tournament. And again, it was a fantastic tournament through and through. Plenty of Cinderella stories and exciting things to watch. Loyal Chicago returning again to be a menace in the NCAA Tournament. Illinois getting bounced out. Uh, Ohio State getting bounced out. How big The Big Ten was supposed to be the big bad of this tournament, and they got their big butts whooped right out of the tournament. The Pac-12 overperformed. The Big Ten underperformed. Um, again, lots of Cinderella stories, Oral Roberts, Abilene Christian, Ohio, uh, UCLA going from the first four into the final four. UCLA showed the world how important it is to be a hot basketball team at the right time. They looked unstoppable and they almost were unstoppable. It took a half court three from Suggs to send Gonzaga to the title game which they did lose to the Baylor Bears by a score of 86-70. to 70. Again, that game happening last night. Baylor dominating Gonzaga in that game. Uh, it's always nice to be right, isn't it? It's really nice to be right. I've predicted that Baylor was going to win the tournament in my video that I posted three weeks ago when I covered you know, predictions for the NCAA tournament. It's always nice to be right. It makes you feel good to be right. Um, I thought Baylor was going to win the championship. I didn't think they would blow out Gonzaga. I thought it was going to be a much closer game, a little bit more defensive than that. Uh, if, if there's one thing that I would change, it's definitely my score prediction for the game. I think I said something ridiculous, like 64 to 62. I way undershot the margin, and I'm not going to sit here and say, I was right. Woo, I was right. I was right that Baylor would win the championship, guys. Me giving me giving myself a metaphorical pat on the back. It's not like I won any money because <laughs> for every place that I was right in that bracket, I was wrong in two other places. And so I'm not going to sit up here and gloat, although it's absolutely nice to be right. I was expecting Baylor to win this game. I was expecting them to play Gonzaga in the championship game, but I was not expecting Baylor to be as dominant as they were. It was truly an impressive display from the word go, and I don't know necessarily if Gonzaga had a little bit of a hangover from the UCLA game. I don't want to say yes or no to that idea because I definitely think the energy and you know the satisfaction of winning on a buzzer beater can definitely ruin a team's start at the beginning of the next game. I will not discredit that, but I also think that UCLA was genuinely 
one of the best teams in the tournament, and they were playing their best basketball at the right time, which is super important during this tournament, or during any tournament for that matter. So I don't necessarily want to give Gonzaga any excuses, but I will acknowledge that UCLA was not that good of a basketball team heading into the tournament, but obviously kicked it into gear during the tournament, and that could be almost as scary as a, as a really good basketball team. But Baylor, from the word go, was absolutely dominant, and you could see it in the way that the game was was unfolding before your eyes. The first couple of possessions, multiple Baylor-Bear offensive rebounds uh, right out of the gate. I think Baylor out-rebounded Gonzaga, what was it, 38-22? to that's, that's a gigantic margin, especially for Gonzaga, which is technically the bigger team. Baylor, you know, starts a four-guard lineup. They play more small ball. So to be out-rebounded by that margin is a little bit embarrassing, to be honest with you. 16 offensive rebounds for the Baylor Bears during this basketball game. They got off to a tremendous start. It was 13-4 to towards uh, Baylor in the first five minutes. They started five from five from three-point range. I mean, they got to an absolutely blazing start, and while Gonzaga got it down to 10 points by halftime, and you're thinking, okay, all right, Gonzaga settled in. Maybe they were a little bit hungover. Maybe they weren't. Now they have a chance to go back and win it in the second half, and they just never did. Uh, Jared Butler closed that door. He slammed it shut, and I was watching Jared Butler last night play some tremendous basketball, and I was extremely impressed. I think he's going to be a fantastic pro if he decides to go that route. He's got a really nice dribble drive, a really nice-looking crossover, and he can obviously shoot. A couple, the, the first couple of baskets coming into the second half were three-pointers from the same spot, albeit, but three-pointers by Butler that really kept the gas uh, on for Baylor in this basketball game. And I think really the... the I mean... Gonzaga was outplayed in pretty much every facet of the game, to be truthful. But the defense, the way that Baylor was able to shut down the Gonzaga offense, which was one of the biggest stories coming into the tournament, is, look, Gonzaga's undefeated, and it's because of how good this offense is. Every single basket that Gonzaga made felt earned. Absolutely earned. Apart from one in the second quarter where nobody picked up the, the point guard and he just kind of dribbled past and went through a layup. Other than that, most of the shots by, made by Gonzaga felt difficult and earned. Lots of step backs, lots of three-point shots, lots of uh, really nifty passes and tough layups. So, you know, Gonzaga, you know, their, the offense was working well at times, but for the most part, it looked like Baylor was completely shutting that down, and it looked like Baylor, in fact, was the one with the better offense during that game. A lot of really nice mid-range, some really lethal three-point shooting. Um, I'm forgetting his name, and I feel so bad, but he was three for four from three-point range. Uh, I think the name starts with an A, perhaps. Uh, Archer, maybe? Maybe his name is Archer? I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm recalling that incorrectly, but regardless of that... Um, he played a fantastic game, and Baylor just looked so explosive and locked in and smooth, and they really kind of, you know, beat Gonzaga and rushed them out of the gym. And granted, again, I I was I knew this that Baylor was capable of beating a team like Gonzaga. I thought Gonzaga was a little bit overhyped entering this tournament, but I did not think that Baylor was going to be able to dominate the game like they did. Uh, Davion Mitchell, uh, Vital, uh, Jared Butler, and 
the, the entire cast, and especially Scott Drew. I, w- I want to give a lot of credit to Scott Drew for what he's been able to do with that team, the way he's been able to turn around that program. It's been incredible to watch over the past few seasons, and congratulations to the, Baylor's Bear, to the Baylor Bears on the championship victory. It's very well-deserved. I don't necessarily want to call them the underdogs because realistically speaking, if they didn't take that break in the middle of the season for COVID precautions, I think that this team probably would have gone undefeated. I think that we would have seen two undefeated teams in the next championship game and I I fully believe that Baylor could have gone undefeated but congratulations to Scott Drew and the Bears uh, the Baylor Bears they absolutely deserve that victory and it was fantastic to watch the entire way through so to end the show today we're going to be giving out some more free agency grades for the 2021 NFL offseason I've had a blast doing these I think it's really fun to do it's fun to kind of put into perspective all the moves that everybody made during the offseason. And normally we do this at the front of the show because it's easy. It's a good way to lead into the show. But I really wanted to talk about the Sam Darnold trade at the top of the show. And we did. So now we're shoving this to the back of the show. And today we're going to be covering the NFC South. This should be a much shorter segment especially compared to the rest. I'm going to try and place all of these in a playlist at some point to make them easily watchable because the thumbnails can be similar at times. It can be hard to differentiate between the certain divisions, the certain videos. So I'm going to try and put them all in a video to make them easier to watch. And those will be on YouTube for those of you who are listening to the podcast version of this. So I'm going to be doing that at some point. Today, we're going to be talking about the NFC South, which, as I said, is going to be a little bit shorter considering that two out of the three, two out of the four teams, excuse me, were in salary cap hell, and the other team basically did nothing but retain every single player in on their roster. Uh, so it's going to be much shorter today. Let's just go ahead and get into it. Let's start with the Buccaneers, who were that team that retained everybody on the roster. The Buccaneers get an A for their 2021 NFL free agency. Look, the Buccaneers are one of the first teams in the Super Bowl era, if not the first team in the Super Bowl era to retain every single starter on both offense and defense after a Super Bowl victory. Everybody came back and some of them even took pay cuts, which is insane. Brady signed a new contract, took a little bit of a pay cut. Levante David signed a new contract, as did Gronkowski. One year, $8 million contract for Gronkowski, as did Shaq Barrett. Chris Godwin was franchise tag. So, although he's probably not too happy about being franchise tag, he did have a bit of a down year. Maybe that was because to how many. Um, how many wide receivers the Buccaneers brought in during the season, but regardless of that. He's being tagged. He will come back for another season, and I don't necessarily know if he minds if he keeps winning championships, but Leonard Fournette was brought back as well. The Buccaneers signed and brought back every single starter. That is extremely difficult in this day and age in the NFL where it's it's difficult to keep a roster together, especially when people are due for a big payday, like a bunch of the Buccaneers' defense was due for a big payday. The Buccaneers get an A for keeping everybody. They did a fantastic job, and maybe it's just because the time is to the time to win now in Tampa Bay is now. And they're looking for more championships. Everybody's all in in Tampa Bay. Moving on to the Falcons. The Falcons get a C. The Falcons really didn't make any moves in free agency this offseason, so it's hard to grade them. But what they were able to do is wiggle out of one of the worst salary cap situations in the NFL, only to be trumped by another team in the NFC South. Uh, They were able to renegotiate contracts for most of the players that were eating into the salary cap. I think their top five account for 67% of the salary cap for the Falcons. That's Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, uh, Grady Jarrett, uh, Dante Fowler Jr., 
And another name that I'm I'm forgetting, that's four out of the five. Regardless, they were able to renegotiate some of those contracts, and they were able to wiggle out of the salary cap hell that they were in. They did sign a defensive tackle from New England, I think it was Brandon Copeland. But other than that, they really didn't make any moves in free agency. They couldn't. They were, you know, strangleholded by the salary cap. The Falcons get a C. It's hard to grade them, so I guess you give them the average grade. I, I think I should... I should and I will give them points for being able to scramble out of a salary cap hell situation without dropping a whole bunch of their players. Uh, moving on to the Panthers. The Panthers get a B-. minus. The Panthers are a bit of a mixed bag. Obviously, we've already talked about Sam Darnold today at the top of the show. It, you know, Trading for Sam Darnold, which I already find to be a bit of a questionable move, uh, will probably boost the Panthers' free agency grade. But as pertains to the actual free agency signings, uh, the Panthers were a bit of a mix back there. The Panthers spent the first day of the free agency period signing Jets guard Pat Eiflin, who is a pretty subpar offensive lineman, to be truthful with you, and then signing Cam Irving for a two-year deal, who has been another average offensive lineman. Uh, who is also coming off an injury. Then the Panthers lost Curtis Samuel to Washington, probably their biggest wide receiver apart from Robbie Anderson. So the first few days were not too good for Carolina, but they rebounded with some strong sightings. Uh, Brashad Perryman from Los Angeles, the Chargers, Hassan Reddick from Arizona. So they really shored up their linebacker core. So I don't know if they are going to take a linebacker in the draft. I thought they would before they signed those guys. So you have Brian Burns, who had a near... Um, Pro Bowl season, then you have Hassan Reddick coming back. Richard Perryman is a decent linebacker as well, so they might be set in that regard. Uh, they also signed David Moore, wide receiver from Seattle, to replace Curtis Samuel. David Moore is a, is a fine signing. He's not going to be the level that Curtis Samuel was, but he's still going to be a nice weapon for Bridgewater or Darnold, whoever that quarterback is going to be. I don't really like the offensive line signings. I think they, they paid way too much money for you know, offensive linemen who really don't deserve it. Obviously, the offensive lineman market was kind of wishy-washy this year. But regardless of that, the rest of the signings by the Panthers were pretty decent. The Panthers get a B-. And uh, last but not least, the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints get a C-. Kind of like the Falcons, the Saints were bottlenecked by their deficit in the salary cap. It ranged anywhere from $82 million in, in debt to over $100 million, depending on who you ask. Uh, but they did more than the Falcons in terms of re-signing key players, and a lot of that is thanks to the the voidable years kind of workaround that you do with the salary cap. Um, the, San the Saints franchise tag Marcus Williams, who is one of the best safeties in the NFL, so although he's expensive, uh, ultimately it's going to be a good decision to keep him. Uh, the Saints also re-signed Jameis Winston, which if he proves to be an improved quarterback could be a steal considering that they basically – Pulled the whole bunch of avoidable years BS and brought Taysom Hill back for dirt cheap. So, uh, you know, if James Winston turns into a great quarterback out of this, he could be the steal of the offseason this season. They did lose a lot of people this offseason, however, especially along the defensive line, Trey Hendrickson, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, to name a couple. The, the Saints will have to draft well. They will absolutely have to draft well to sure up the depth of the linebacker, tight, uh, tight end. Nice voice crack. Tight end and uh, defensive lineman position. They have no depth there. Pretty much everybody left. Um, 
The Saints did retain their best defensive player, as I said, in Marcus Williams, apart from Cameron Jordan, and locked in the most important position in football with a player that, if he proves to work out, will be one of the biggest free agency steals this offseason in Jameis Winston. The Saints get a C-. And that is the recap for the NFC South. Again, very, very short, and that's because a lot of the teams in the NFC South didn't really do too much. I think the Panthers did the most out of any of those teams. So those are the grades for the NFC South. We will be doing the NFC West next, and we will be finishing with the NFC North whenever we get to that. So we're almost through the NFL free agency grades, and then we can start talking about mock drafts, start talking about the draft a little bit more in detail. I've started doing more isolated segments for the draft. Obviously, we talked about the 49ers, the Falcons. We talked about kind of Denver and Carolina today. So we'll continue to kind of do separate segments for those teams. But that's the end of the show today. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. I'm going to celebrate a birthday tomorrow, so I don't know when the next show will be. I will do my best to get a show out as soon as possible. Thank you so much for watching and listening. As I said, you are listening to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast hosted by me, Nick Ryan. This was episode number 34. And with that being said, stay hard-headed, everybody. But have a nice day.